morning. It's good to see you. Hey, uh, real quick before we dive in, let me just speak to the whole seating thing again because I realize some of you weren't here last week and you walked in and you're wondering, why are there people telling me where to sit? Well, uh, here's why. Over the summer, we had an unusually high attendance. We actually averaged almost 300 more people this summer than we did the summer before, which is incredible. Uh, Church has grown. Even in summer months when it's not really supposed to grow, it, it grew. It's amazing. Uh, but, but here's the problem. We always know that when summer's done and school's in and everybody's back, that we will experience a, a jump in attendance. And because that's true, we need to work really hard to take advantage of every seat in the auditorium. Uh, in the last several months, we've been kind of having empty seats here and there. We've been having to seat families in different places People have had to wait way too long in the back of the room to actually find a seat and have a seat. And so this is our best attempt right now to leverage every seat so that people can come in, not be frustrated, not be distracted, and hear about Jesus, all right? So a couple things. You know, I said this last week, and I'll keep saying it. Please don't be frustrated with our team, all right? If you want to be frustrated with anybody, be frustrated with this guy because I asked him to do it. I will say, if there's anything we could have done differently, I could have given you a heads up, all right? I didn't tell you it was coming. I'll take the blame. I love you. I'm sorry. This is what we got to do right now, okay? Uh, And then I would just continue to ask for your patience. You know, I I asked Matt Warren before I came up, I said, how did the seating thing go today? He said, much better. Tell them they did awesome. So from Matt Warren, our connection pastor, uh, to all of you, thank you for your patience. Um, Thanks for being troopers. We have really good news on relocation coming in in like the next week or so, and so there's light at the end of the tunnel. All right, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, all right? Love you. If you want more room, just come at 8.30 or 5. All right, we still have seats in those two gatherings, all right? Well, cool. Hey, last week we kicked off a brand new series on the book of Acts, and so if you have a Bible or a device with an app, grab those things, and let's head back to Acts chapter 1 together. Acts chapter 1. Have any of you ever missed out on something you really wanted to be a part of? Yeah, me too. Uh, A couple years ago, one of my good buddies who is a pastor in New Orleans, some of you might remember him, I had him preach for me earlier this year, Uh, my my buddy, he's not just a pastor in New Orleans, he's also the chaplain for the New Orleans Saints, and I try not to hold that against him too much, rise up, right, go Falcons, football season is back, amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, uh, but my buddy, he calls me up and he, he says to me, James, listen, the Falcons are traveling into Atlanta for the final game of the season. I can't travel in with the team, so I need someone to preach chapel service for me. Will you go on Saturday night and hang out with the saints and preach chapel service? So immediately I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm in, right? I think I'm in. Let me check my calendar. So get the calendar out. And there was a problem. I had already committed to do a wedding that same Saturday night. Now, weddings are fine, right? Like, I mean, oftentimes it's an honor to be a part of people's special day. I've done a ton of weddings, but I have never preached to a bunch of professional athletes. So I'm trying to figure out, can I make this work? Like, can I rush to chapel and preach to these guys, head back to the wedding or vice versa? You know, can like somebody Skype me in and let me do it that way so I can perform the wedding through FaceTime or something? I tried to make it work, couldn't make it work. And so I had to call my buddy back and say, dude, I I hate this. I can't do it. I I missed out. So this past season, my friend calls me back. He says, James, same deal. Uh, Falcons are coming in or Saints are coming in to play the Falcons. Uh, Why don't you come preach chapel service? So get the calendar back out. 
And I look, and that Saturday fell in the middle of a trip that I'd be on to Burkina Faso, West Africa. And that was a little easier to swallow because I love Burkina. Uh, My heart's there. But for two seasons now, I've missed out. So I told my buddy, I said, look, I'm going to plan better for 2016, 2017. I have already looked at the football schedule and marked off that weekend on my calendar, okay? So you need to know if you ask me to do anything the weekend of December 31st, the answer is absolutely not, okay? I love you, but I have plans. It stinks to miss out, doesn't it? And that's what we're talking about today, missing out. Last week, we kicked off the series by talking about the mission uh, that began with Jesus, the mission he left us as his followers, this mission to go into all the world and through the power of the Holy Spirit to tell those who are lost, who are far from God, that there's a Savior who's restored the way back to him. Now, here's the reality. If we're not careful and if we don't live intentionally, we can and will miss out on that mission. And I want you to look up here for just a moment. Look. If you miss out, that's it. That's it. Like, we don't get second chances. There are no do-overs. Every single one of us in the room today have one life to live, one life to actually live for things that matter, things that, that mean something. And if you miss out, you miss out. And I'm going to show you what I mean, all right? Here we go. Acts 1, starting in verse 15. This is Luke, the author of Acts, speaking. He says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So 120 followers of Jesus here for this moment. And Peter said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. It's awesome, right? We'll come back to that, so look forward to that, okay? Verse 19, it became known. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language uh, Akodama, or that is the field of blood. For it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So in these verses, we find Peter. He's basically the spokesman for the disciples. Uh, He speaks up, and he makes reference to a man who missed out on the mission of Jesus due to his own choosing. That man's name was Judas. Judas, he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, a man that Jesus personally asked to be a part of his ministry. So I mean, think about it. This is a guy who left everything behind and followed Jesus. He was in the room when Jesus taught. I mean, he was there when he he called out the Pharisees. He was there when he spoke to the masses who followed him everywhere he went. Not only that, but he witnessed with his own eyes the miracles of Jesus. Right? Crazy. He was at that wedding, probably, where Jesus turned water into wine. He was there when Jesus restored health to the lepers, caused the blind to see again, caused the, the lame or the crippled to walk again. Judas, he helped pass out food. When Jesus fed the the thousands upon thousands with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. He was on the boat when Jesus spoke to the storm and calmed it. He was on the boat when, when Jesus came out to the disciples walking on water. Everything you and I read about in this book, he saw with his own eyes. But not only that, Peter reminds us that Judas, he was actually allotted a share in Jesus's ministry. In other words, he didn't just follow Jesus around and watch and listen 
Jesus gave this guy responsibilities. He was basically CFO for the disciples. Right? He handled all the money. If you needed to buy something or needed a reimbursement, guess who you had to go through? Our boy Judas. Now, I think you'll agree with this. Look, in my mind, if a guy experienced all that Jesus did and taught, if a guy was trusted by Jesus to be a part of his earthly ministry, in my mind, it would only make sense that that guy would be completely sold out to Jesus. Right? Right? But that wasn't the case for Judas. Like, Judas isn't famous today for being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Like, even if you're not a church person, you probably know that. Like, when the name Judas comes up, we equate that with something, and it's not a very good something. That's why nobody names their kid Judas today. You know, it's an awesome name. I hate that. He messed it up for all of us. But, but Judas, he's famous for betraying Jesus. And we read about his betrayal in Matthew 26. Look at this with me. Verses 14 through 16. Matthew says, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. And I've told you in the past that the religious leaders of Jesus' day hated Jesus. Right? He showed up on the earth, God in flesh, and he challenged their man-made religious systems. To their faces, he called them some pretty brutal names. Uh, hypocrites, brood of vipers, serpents, blind guides, sons of murderers. Not the thing you want to be called by God in the flesh, right? But, but he went after them. And they knew that the only way they could stop Jesus was to kill him. And so we find Judas, this is what we read, coming to these guys who wanted Jesus dead and just asking, hey, if I, if I sell him out, what will you give me? And they offer him 30 pieces of silver, the same amount of money that a person would have paid for a slave during this time, and then Judas agrees. Now, why would he do this? Like, why would a guy who gave up everything to follow Jesus betray Jesus? Well, the Bible doesn't answer that question clearly. But based on what we know and see, we can speculate and be pretty confident. Uh, some Bible scholars believe that Judas betrayed Jesus due to anger. That he was a guy banking on the fact that Jesus would come as this great military Messiah and deliver Israel from Roman oppression... And when he figured out, well, Jesus doesn't really care about all that, he's way more concerned with a heavenly kingdom than he is an earthly kingdom, that Judas got angry at Jesus. He's not doing for me what I want him to do, and in his anger betrayed him. Other Bible scholars believe that, that Judas betrayed Jesus due to greed. Like we know from the Bible, the dude was a thief. You look at John 12, 6, here was the guy handling the money bag for all the disciples, and according to that verse, apparently Judas would help himself to whatever was in the bag anytime he wanted. So it may have been that, that he saw an opportunity to fatten up his wallet a bit. These guys want Jesus dead. I, I bet they'd pay me if I delivered him over. And so he goes, and, and maybe in his greed, he sells Jesus out. Regardless of why he did it, here's what you need to know. His decision to betray Jesus led to his destruction. His decision to betray Jesus led to his destruction. We read in Matthew 27, 5, that after he sold Jesus out, Jesus was arrested. And Judas, he felt so guilty over what he had done that he actually returns the money he had been paid. The religious leaders used that money to basically buy a field in his name. That's the field of blood we read about a moment ago. And then Judas killed himself. Matthew simply says that he hung himself. 
Luke, he expounds here in Acts chapter 1, and he says, Judas, he fell headlong, burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Right? One idea is that that Judas, he actually hung himself over a cliff that, that uh, sat above this field that was bought in his name, the field of blood. He didn't use a strong enough rope. It broke. He fell to the ground below. Body burst open. Another idea is that he hung himself, and his body hung there for so long that it started decaying and decomposing, and eventually it fell to the ground below in a decomposed state. Body burst open. Now, that's nasty, right? And some of us who are a little squeamish were probably wondering, well, like, why did Luke have to go there? That's nasty. Well, Luke was a doctor, which means he was probably a little nasty. And if you're a doctor in the room, no offense. Like, I've told you before I went into ministry, I was going to school to become a doctor. So I am well aware that to do what Luke did, you kind of have to be a little nasty. You got to be off just enough to find a fascination in blood and guts. And apparently Luke was, was off just enough that he decided he wanted to bring the rest of us into his world. It's kind of like your friend that's always showing you nasty pictures on their phone. Check this out. Just see you squirm. So now that we're all squirming and we feel a little queasy, let me give you two takeaways. Two takeaways from Judas's story, okay? This is important stuff, so if you're taking notes, write it down. Here's the first takeaway. Even those closest to Jesus can fall. Even those closest to Jesus can fall. Look up here for just a moment. I want to make sure you know this. You and I have a very real enemy in Satan. In John 10.10, Jesus calls him a thief. And he says that his entire goal is to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. Which is exactly what he did to Judas. He got his claws into him. And even though he was one of 12 men closest to Jesus, Satan absolutely ripped his life to shreds. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, he'll do the same to us. This is one of the reasons the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul's writing here, and he's warning the church at Corinth against the sin of idolatry. He's basically to say, uh, saying to them, look, don't settle in. Don't get comfortable. Don't mess around with sin and, and, and believe the lie. Just because you're standing firm now that you won't eventually fall in the future. You see, the mistake people sometimes make is this. They'll follow hard after Jesus, draw close to him, and over time, instead of remaining dependent upon him, they'll grow confident in themselves. And they'll just start believing, like, it won't ever happen to me. I can't fall. I, I won't fall. I'm not like other people that, that fall into sin, like, not this guy, not this girl. And then what happens is they let their guard down. And they start flirting with sin, and before they know what's happening, they're falling. They're falling. You know, it's kind of like that swimmer who swam their entire lives. This is timely because we're all watching the Olympics, right, celebrating all the golds. Go Team USA. That strong swimmer. They, they swam their entire lives. And so they've convinced themselves, I'll never drown. And they become careless. And they dive off into rough water. And before they can stop it, they're drug out to sea. Please hear me. We cannot become careless like that in following Jesus. You cannot ever allow yourself to believe that just because I'm close to Jesus, I can't fall. I want to give you a little nugget to hang on to, something to remember. All right, if you take a note, you can write it down. The harder you follow after Jesus, the harder Satan will follow after you. I, I know from the responses, some of you, you've experienced it, haven't you? 
Before you started following Jesus, things were pretty easy. Life was comfortable. You weren't struggling with anything. And then you decided, I'm going to follow him. Like really, I'm not just going to play church or go through the motions. I'm going to follow him intensely with everything I've got. And then all of a sudden, everything got harder. Things with your family got harder. Relationships with your friends got harder. Things at work got harder. Temptation grew stronger. Why is that? Well, it's simple. He came after you. He came after you. You see, when you're not following Jesus, Satan doesn't have to work very hard. You get that, right? He has you right where he wants you. But when you decide, I'm going hard after him, Satan will put in overtime to wreck and destroy your life. Which again is why you and I can't ever grow confident in ourselves. We can't ever believe the lie. I'm close enough. I'm fine. I will never fall. You know what that's called, right? It's called pride. And according to the Bible, pride goes before the fall. The fall or destruction. What we have to do as followers of Jesus Christ is follow hard after him while remembering even those closest to Christ can fall. And we have to let that truth remind us each and every day to be confident in him, dependent upon him, not ourselves. The second takeaway, it goes hand in hand with the first. Here it is. If you're not sold out to Jesus, like I promise you at some point, at some point, you'll sell Jesus out. If you're not sold out to him, there will come a point in your life at which you'll sell him out. Now, what do I mean by sold out? I want to be clear here because I know that when some of us think about people who are, are sold out, like in our minds we go to homeboy who's always rocking the Christian t-shirt, Jesus juking people, posting Bible verses on Facebook or Twitter, all six presets set to 104.7 the fish. <laughs> and listen, there's nothing wrong with that stuff except the Jesus juking part. Like, don't do that. That's just annoying, but... But at the end of the day, all that stuff is just surface-level stuff. I'm sure that on the surface, Judas looked sold out to Jesus. But at a heart level, nothing could be further from the truth. Here's what I mean when I say sold out. Are you the person that is just completely dependent upon him? Are you the person in the room today who understands how needy you are? That you are broken That without Christ, you're spiritually dead, stuck in sin, on your way to a very real place called hell. Like, do you understand? I need the Lord each and every day. Like, I I just need him. I need him. Are you the person who trusts in him? You're confident in him. Your identity is rooted in him and in him alone. Are you striving each day through the Holy Spirit to know him more, to love him more, to obey him more? Like, are you that person that anytime you fail Christ, anytime you fall into sin... It just absolutely rips you apart. Like you're broken. You find yourself on your face just crying out to the Lord, confessing, repenting, begging the Lord to change you so that you can become more like him. Does that describe you? Are you sold out to Jesus? If not, if not, look, at some point, again, I guarantee it'll happen. At some point, you'll sell Jesus out. Now, this past week, I started thinking about some of the different ways that we sell Jesus out. And I want to make this practical and easy for you to understand. So I want to show you some of the ways. This list that I'm getting ready to throw up, it is by no means exhaustive. But these are some of the ways that we see playing out in Judas's life. All right? Four ways that we can sell Jesus out like him. Number one, by pretending to love him when we don't. 
It's crazy to me. In Matthew 26, we not only see Judas selling Jesus over to the religious leaders, but we then find him leading the arrest party to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, he doesn't just like point Jesus out, there he is, that's the guy you want. He actually walks up to Jesus, greets him warmly, and gives him a kiss. Don't miss this. In the moment he's selling Jesus out, he's still pretending to love him. It's crazy, isn't it? But what's crazier is that many people, maybe some of us in the room today, still do the same thing now. Right? People do it all the time. They come to church. They sing loudly. They lift hands. They serve. They give. They try to lead godly, moral lives. But it's not real. It's all fake. They're just pretending. They're putting on a show, whether for God or for other people. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you're that person that offers God lip service and good behavior, but in reality, your heart is very far from the Lord. Look, if that's you, I would just remind you today that God could care less about your behavior if he doesn't have your heart. Could care less. You see that truth reflected all throughout the Bible. Time and time again, God comes to people who simply go through the religious motions, offer him empty sacrifice without giving him their hearts. And God says basically, I don't want it. Like shut the doors of the temple, stop bringing these animals to me, stop going through the motion. If you don't want to give me your heart, I don't want your false behavior. Shut it down. I want you to know today that if you're the pretender in the room, God loved you enough to put his son on a cross for you. And what you need to do in light of his great love for you is come to him, confess your hypocrisy, and ask the Lord to change your heart so that you can stop pretending to love him when you don't. Number two, we sell Jesus out by using him for personal gain. When it comes down to it, Judas used Jesus. He wanted to use him to gain freedom from the Romans, and he did use him to benefit financially, which lets us know that the whole time, Judas wasn't following Jesus because he wanted more of Jesus. He was following Jesus because he wanted something from him. People still do it today. Still do it today, right? They come to church. Again, they lift hands. They sing songs. They serve. They give. They they try to be godly people. But they're not doing it to get more of Jesus. They're only doing it because they want something from him. Like in their minds, they're thinking, maybe if I do enough for him, he'll give me what I want. And you always know when this is the case, because eventually, when that person doesn't get what they want, they sell Jesus out. Like they bail. They stop showing up at church, stop serving, stop giving, stop trying to live a godly life. And all it does is prove that that the whole time they were following Jesus, not to get more of Jesus, but to get something from him. I want to remind us today that as followers of Christ, we don't follow Jesus to get more of his stuff. We follow him to get more of him. Like, where's your heart at today as you really examine yourself? Are you really the person in the room that that would say, when it's all said and done, man, you can take everything the world has to offer me. Give me him. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I don't need anything else. If you give me Jesus, that's enough because he's more than enough for me. Is that your heart today? Or are you the person who, who like G, uh, Judas, is here only because you're hoping to leverage Jesus to get whatever it is you really want? Number three, we sell Jesus out by holding him to promises he never made. This is something Judas was guilty of. I told you a few minutes ago that chances are he sold Jesus out in anger 
uh, because Jesus refused to free them from Roman oppression. What's crazy is that Jesus never promised that he would. Like, if you pick up your Bible, you're never going to find Jesus saying to his disciples, guys, just, just hang tight. I'm going to put an end to all this. I'm going to wipe the Romans out. Judas, he was holding Jesus to a promise he never made. And if we're not careful, all of us can do the same thing. I'll tell you how I've seen this play out time and time again as a pastor. Uh, it typically happens when life gets hard. Like tragedy hits, circumstances get tough, someone dies, someone gets sick, and, and someone is left saying, how could Jesus let this happen to me? As if Jesus ever promised that life this side of eternity would be easy. He didn't. In fact, he promised the opposite. John 16, he says to us as his followers, in this world you're going to have trouble. Life's going to be difficult at times. Circumstances are going to be hard. You're going to suffer loss. I mean, we teach this all the time here at Crosspoint. We live in a broken world that has been infected and affected by sin in every way. So according to Jesus, life at times is going to be really tough. But here's what I love. Jesus doesn't stop there. Hey, just so you know, it's going to be hard. He goes on and he says, but, but take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Listen to me. Our hope is not founded in the fact that life here on the earth is always going to be smooth sailing. It's not, and all of us know it. Our hope as believers in Christ is found in the fact that one day Jesus, our Savior, will take us out of this broken world and bring us to a place to be with him where trouble is no more. Isn't that amazing? We have a God who says, while you're here and while you're suffering, you call on me and I'll get you through it. And at the end of your life, I'll bring you out of it finally and forever. You're going to be with me in a place where suffering's no more, sickness is no more, death is no more. All your troubles will be over. Hang on until then. And I promise life will get easy. Life will get easy. We can't hold promises. Uh, we can't hold Jesus to promises he never made. Finally, finally, number four. Uh, this is short, this is sweet. We sell Jesus out by loving money more than him. Judas loved money more than Jesus. We all know that, right? Can we be honest? Some of us love money more than Jesus. And the evidence is found in the fact that, that we don't use our money to honor Jesus and help people. We use our money to honor and help ourselves. And if that's you, I would just remind you, out of, out of love and care for you today, Jesus, what he teaches in Matthew 6, 24 is this. You can't love both God and money. you got to pick. You can't be mastered by him and money at the same time. I'd also remind you that uh, either money or Christ will be your greatest treasure in life. One of those treasures will last. The other won't. And if you're mastered by the one that won't, any time you have to choose between it or Jesus, you'll sell Jesus out Every time. Now, I want to take us back to the passage because I want to show you the implications of selling Jesus out. All right, remember today, it's about missing out. You need to know that if you choose to sell Jesus out, like, like Judas sold Jesus out, you will miss out on the mission of God in the world and you'll miss out on all that God wants to do in and through your life. So let me show you what I mean. All right, let's go back. Acts 1, we're going to pick up in verse 21. Peter continues, so one of the men who've accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. 
And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So Peter, he stands up, and he speaks of the need to replace Judas. Now, I don't have a lot of time to get into all the details of this, but you should know that that the need to replace Judas was directly related to a promise that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus, he's having a conversation with his guys, and he basically says, uh, listen, when I come back to the earth for a second time to set up my earthly kingdom, I'm going to have a throne, and there will be 12 other thrones for you. And you're going to be seated on those thrones, and I'm going to give you the responsibility of judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this number 12 is very, very significant. It's also significant to note that none of the other disciples were replaced as one of the 12 after their deaths. It was only Judas. And why? Well, because he made a conscious decision to vacate his place of promise. Look, he chose to miss out. And so Peter, he offers some requirements. We need to replace him since he chose to to miss out on what Jesus was going to do for us. We need to replace him with a guy who's been with us the entire time. And this guy also needs to be someone who saw Jesus alive again after his resurrection. So they narrow it down to two guys, Joseph and Matthias. And then I love this. The Bible says that they prayed to the Lord who knows hearts. Look, this is great news for some of us in the room today. When God chooses someone to use, he rushes right past external appearances and he examines the heart. He looks past the external to the internal. It's great news, right? Because I know some of us in the room, like, we often wonder, can God do anything with a person like me? I don't have much to offer. I mean, I, I don't really feel like I have what it takes. That's fantastic, right? Maybe you've heard the old cliche, it's very true that God, when he's looking for people to use, doesn't look for ability but availability. God doesn't care what you're able to do. All he wants to know is that your heart is set on him. And if your heart is set on him, God can use you. So they pray to the Lord who knows hearts, and then they cast lots. Basically, they wrote these guys' names on some stones, put them in a jar, shook up the jar, and whoever stone fell out first, that's the guy they picked. Now, I know it sounds weird, but, but oftentimes during this time and all throughout the Old Testament, they would cast lots, the people of God, to determine the will of God. And it's believed that this practice is based on, uh, or was practiced, uh, was based on um, a proverb, Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. These people would pray, and they would ask God to show them. They would do this and trust that whatever happened, that was the Lord speaking. Now, here's what's interesting. Before the Holy Spirit showed up, and you're going to see him showing up next week, so be here. Before he showed up, they would always cast lots to discern his will. After the Holy Spirit showed up, casting lots went away. After he showed up, you found men and women filled with the Holy Spirit of God simply trusting him to give them the wisdom and discernment they needed to determine the will of God when it came to decision-making. So long story short, they cast lots. It falls on Matthias, and so he's picked as uh, Judas's replacement. Now, one final takeaway, and then we'll be done, okay? Here it is. If you choose not to be used, God will use someone else. Every single time. Last summer, I was in San Diego, California for a preaching workshop with about 25 other pastors from the Atlanta area. 
And uh, the guy who was leading the workshop, he stopped talking about preaching at one point. I'll never forget this. And he looks at all of us guys and he says to us, none of us are as important as we think we are. Like, dang, Larry, thanks for the encouragement. You could have sent that to me in an email, right? And come all the way to California to hear that. But, but as I sat there and thought about it, I went, man, how true is that? None of us are as important as we think we are. And then he went on to say this, that God doesn't need any of us to do what he wants to do, but he wants to use us. He wants to. How humbling is that? God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anybody in this room, anybody on the face of the planet. But his desire is to use us for his glory and the good of people. Now, here's the reality. Here's the reality. And we see it in our passage for today. If we choose not to be used by God, he'll just pick somebody else. He'll move his hand of blessing off our life and he'll put it on somebody else's life. He'll move his hand of blessing off our church and he'll put it on some other church. I guarantee you that his purposes will be accomplished and the mission of Jesus will continue to advance in this world with or without us. The decision we have to make is this. Will we be a part or will we miss out? Here's where we'll end. That decision to, uh, to be a part and to be used by God, when it comes down to it, it's a decision of surrender. It's a decision of surrender. Am I going to be the person that follows hard after Jesus And every single day lives under control of the Holy Spirit. Like, am I willing to remain laser focused on this mission that that he's left for me as one of his followers? And am I willing to say to the Holy Spirit, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Submitted to you, surrendered to you, you take control of me today. Are we willing to be that church that says to him, whatever you want, that's what we want. Like, however you want to move, we're fine with it. However you want to lead us, we're good. Wherever you want to take us, we'll go. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be laser focused on this mission. Holy Spirit, we are surrendered to your control. Or the other decision is this. Will we be like Judas? (laughs) And say to the Lord, "Uh, we don't really care about what you want. We're all about what we want. I'm just going to do what I want. Like if I can leverage Jesus to get what I want, like I'll follow him until I get what I want. Then I'm going to sell him out. But I'm not living under the control of the Spirit. I'm not going to do what He wants me to do because at the end of the day, it's about what I want. Will you be the person that opens the door to the enemy in your life, allowing Satan to take control of you? Are you willing to live with the devastating consequences of a decision like that? Like, I'll just reiterate this. We have one life to live. One life. And we can either live a life that matters and means something, or we can waste our lives. Like, I don't know about you, I I don't want at the end of my life for people to stand up in a room like this and go, yeah, that James guy, he was a sellout. I mean, he did pretty good for a while when it came to following Jesus, but man, he went down in flames. Got it wrong. Like, I I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to waste my life. And, And I think that there are people in the room today, you'd say the same is true of you. Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to lay your life down before the Lord and to say to him, take control of me so that I don't miss out on what you want to do through this life. I'm going to invite us all over the room just to bow our heads and to close our eyes and a couple of our band members are going to come out in just a moment and and lead us in a song and really I just want this to be a reflective time. A time where we just look inward and 
and we focus on the Lord and we come before him and surrender. So right now as I pray, why don't you just go ahead and pray for yourself and, and just get your heart ready for what God wants to do in you in the next few moments. Father, we're saying to you today that we don't want to miss out on your work in this world. We do not want to waste our lives. God, we also know that for that to be true, like we need you. We need you. It's more than hard work. It's more than us picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and just trying harder. God, we know today that it's about us laying our lives down at your feet and allowing your spirit who lives within us to take complete control of us. Some of us in the room need to surrender today. Lord, would you move on our hearts? Would you do things in us that only you can do? God, we give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.